Good morning, everyone. Oh, hello. <laughs> good morning, everybody. How you doing today? Good. It's good to see everybody today, and um, so glad that we could be here together. It's um, it's great to uh, be in a place of worship together, and um, thank you for coming and joining us on Back to Church Sunday. Uh, for those of you who've been in uh, church for a while, you know, welcome back to the house of the Lord. For those of you who haven't been in church for a while, welcome back to the house of the Lord. For, this, for those of you whose first time it is in the house of the Lord, welcome to you as well. So we celebrate all that God's doing. And uh, my name is Rollin. I'm the lead pastor here. It's a privilege to get to speak to you today. And um, we're going to have an exciting time together. So um, I'm going to jump right in today and um, say that uh, had a lot on my mind this past week. Uh, I don't know if anybody has uh, any family down south or in the Caribbean. Anybody? Okay, well, my family's right on the coast. I hope your family um, is well and uh, doing well in the midst of the hurricane. Uh, my parents hightailed it to Savannah, Savannah, Georgia. And uh, so they're doing well. For those of you who are asking, thank you for that and thank you for um, praying for them. And uh, they actually just got back and uh, said that the house is standing and uh, the power's on, so it's good. So really appreciate all those prayers, and um, please let us know if we could do anything for uh, family members who might have been in the wake of uh, that storm. So uh, anyway, what we've been um, doing is we've actually been going through a series, and uh, we've been going through a series called What Would Jesus Say? And I think it's appropriate um, to finish this series today on National Back to Church Sunday and uh, talk about it in the context of what Jesus himself would say about his church. Um, but we want to build on top of uh, what we've been talking about the past several weeks. And what we want to do is break it down into three separate parts. We want to actually understand what Jesus has said about the church because we believe, very frankly, that the church is the answer to the ills of the world that we see around us. How many people can believe that? Okay, the church of Jesus Christ is God's solution for the ills of the world. We're always looking for um, all types of things that are affecting society and having answers for them, whether they be government programs, whether they be marches, whether they be rallies, whether they be different types of discussions. But we know that Jesus himself is the answer to the ills of the world, and his gospel is the very thing that changes the heart of humanity so that they're able to be set free and actually live for him appropriately according to to his design. And so when Jesus is speaking about his church, he's speaking about it in that way. And we're talking today about what Jesus had to say in regards to the church by talking about one God, one gospel, and one church. One God, one gospel, and one church. Now, I don't know if uh, many of you are sports fans in here, um, but how many of you like actually like football? Anybody like football? Okay, so football was uh, something that, you know, I did not, I played basketball and soccer growing up, but I always had football envy. Um, like it was the thing that my mom kept me out of, you know, I was like, come on, mom, I want to like, you know, hit somebody. And she was like, she was like, you could do that on the soccer field too. And I was like, that's true. You know, but the, the thing is, is that she was protecting, you know, my skull. And so the thing is, is that at the same time, I've always loved football. But the thing about football is right now it's causing a whole lot of animosity in our country. 
is it not? What we believe, though, is that in the midst of it, we believe that God himself speaks on behalf of the, uh, the rights of um, the people who are being oppressed in any community and in any culture, right? Can everybody say amen to that? God speaks on behalf of justice, and some of the things being highlighted are things that are being actually spoken to in the midst of injustices that are being done in our community. At the same time, we support our men and women who are, sub, um, are actually in the military, right? And we thank them for their service. We thank them for their protection. We honor all the opportunities that we've been given in this country, right, as a whole. And so we do both in terms of um, understanding the challenges that are being brought to the surface in our country. But the good news is that as the gospel is actually the answer to the ills of society, it doesn't shy away from the things that are going on, but addresses them head on. It addresses them head on and then says, here is, as a Christian, how you're to deal with the things that surround you. Here in your heart, as things are being brought up, how do you address the things that are going on around you in our culture? And as the church, we're to be serving one God with one gospel as one church. Okay? So let's start with building on top of what Jesus said last week in Mark chapter 12. Jesus said this. We mentioned it last week, so I'm going to fly through this. He was talking and he said um, in verse 28, and one of the scribes came up and heard him dis- them disputing with one another and seeing that he answered them well, asked him, which commandment is the most important one of all? Which commandment is the most important of all? And Jesus answered, the most important is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And so the answer to the ills of the society is, number one, that we serve one God, right? Because there is only one God in our, uh, not only in our country, um, meaning that not that people ascribe to one God, but regardless of what people ascribe to, Jesus is saying there is only one God. And you are to serve this one God in spirit and in truth. And you're to anyone who's serving him, no matter what background you're coming from, no matter what socioeconomic status, no matter what type of um, heritage you have, there's one God and you're going to serve that one God if you're doing what's right in his eyes. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. So immediately he's throwing in our face the ills of society can be dealt with with this one, command, this one commandment. First, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And as you posture yourself appropriately in that place, as he sets you free from all types of presuppositions, predispositions, bigotries, all types of offenses that you might have experienced throughout your lifetime in the world that we live in the fallen, sinful world that we live in, he says, you'll through this be able to love your neighbor as yourself, right? The first thing is we've got to go vertical. We've got to see God as he is, loving him with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. And then secondly, as we love him appropriately, then we'll be able to love our neighbor as ourselves. But it's only through the worship of this one God. Jesus went on, as we spoke about last week, to say this in Matthew 12, verse 46 through 50. It says, while he was still speaking to the people, behold, His mother and his brothers stood outside 
asking to speak to him, right? We're tribe, we're all tribal by nature. We all have different um, proclivities or different leanings that we give ourselves to very naturally. We're born into families and we have allegiances to them, right? But Jesus, when he was ministering, he came and he actually said, hey, listen, I'm going to tell you who my mother and my brothers are. Who are they? Jesus said, my mother and my brothers aren't just those that I've been naturally born to. They aren't just the people that I would have naturally associated with. But he said, my mother, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my mother, I'm sorry, my brother and sister and mother. So in the culture that's ultimately coming against the, uh, the, the, uh, the unity that God would want to bring in his church or in his people, God is saying in his church, we're to live differently. In his church and through his church, we're to be a people who say my identity predominantly comes from the Lord Jesus Christ. Before I am my ethnicity, before I am my job, before I am even my family that I belong to, I am a son and a child of God. And how many people can say amen to that? The the first and the primary and the most important identity that I have is child of God. And if I'm a child of God, then anyone who's doing the will of my father who's in heaven is my mother and my brother and my sister. Why? Because we've been united by his one blood. His one blood. And everybody needs to say amen to that. Okay. We're going to hit it hard today going to hit it hard. So what else did Jesus say? Jesus said, went on and said, okay, let me tell you what this is about. Ultimately, it's I'm about building a people. If you're thinking about all of the issues that are going on in the world around us, it's causing division. But Jesus is trying to build a unified people. And when Jesus was talking about the people, what's important to him and how he was trying to build his church, he said this in Matthew 16. Matthew 16, verses 13 through 20. He said, now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do the people say that the Son of Man is? Who do the people say the Son of Man is? If you're coming to him and you're asking for help, you need to know who he is and you need to acknowledge him as he is. And they said to him, some say John the Baptist... Others say Elijah, who was one of the prophets, Old Testament prophets, and others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, but what about you? What about you? It's not a matter of what culture says I am, is what Jesus says. It's not a matter of what your family has even said that Jesus, who Jesus is. He ultimately asks the question, who do you say I am? Because none of you can stand on the faith of your parents. Though they might have laid a foundation for you, ultimately Jesus is going to look you in the eye and say, you've got to respond to me as I am. So he ultimately asks all of us the question, just as he asked Peter in this moment, but what about you? Not what culture says, what about you? Who do you say that I am? And he said to him, let's go on, verse 16, Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Next verse. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter and on this rock, I will build my church 
and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now we see a lot of hell going on around us and the way that people are treating one another and the way that people are living in society. But Jesus said, once again, I'm coming to destroy the devil's work and I'm building my church to do so. And the gates of hell will not be able to stand up against it. But to do so, I'm going to build it on the revelation of this one God. This one God in Jesus Christ. He says, I am the Son of God. I'm the only way to God. The only way you have access to live in the life of love that I've commanded you as the penultimate goal. He says, is by acknowledging who I am and allowing me to work in your heart. Because then I can open your eyes. Then I can set you free from bondage. Then I can set you free from offense. Then I can set you free and even heal you from wrongdoings that have been committed against you. And I can build my church. And on the revelation of Jesus Christ as the Son of God, he's going to do something that's a sign and a wonder amongst the people in this generation, in any generation where his gospel is preached. He said, a sign and a wonder is what? That I would take opposing parties and bring them together under one head, under one headship, under one Lord, under one Christ. That's the testimony of the church, right? He says people from different ethnicities, socioeconomic backgrounds, people from different types of experiences in life. He says, I'm proclaiming myself as the one God deserving of worship. And as you come to me, I'm bringing the nations to myself to worship me in the manner in which I deserve. He says, it's by revelation of Jesus as the son of God from the heart of the father. And as I set you free, you can serve not only me, but then you can love one another as I've intended you to. It's through that one gospel. There was a man named Rick Warren, and many of you have read uh, that bestseller, The Purpose Driven Life. How many people have ever read The Purpose Driven Life? Okay. Anybody ever given that to a gift, as a gift to a family member or a friend that you're reaching out to? Sort of like they may not hear other things, but they'll hear, oh, everybody wants purpose in life. That's a great gift to give to people. Rick Warren's preaching through it. And one of the things that he says is he says, emphasize reconciliation, not resolution. Emphasize reconciliation, not resolution. Now, that's a whole loaded statement. But what he's talking about here is that things, resolution means that there's an end to the matter, that the discussion has ended, and that we've dealt with everything that needs to be touched upon, right? And how many people know that it's going to take a lot more than that to fix the ills in the society? It's not going to be just through one program or through one march or through one project, right? It's going to be through ongoing discussion. But what can be emphasized is reconciliation reconciliation through the gospel, first of all, with God himself, and then secondly, in the second commandment, with one another, those who are around us, those who may not look like us, act like us, talk like us, be from the same place as us. He said, reconciliation is the goal of the gospel. How do we know this? We know it because there was a man named Paul who was a follower of Jesus. And he spoke about the gospel as it's played out in everyday society when he said this in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Not only is there one God, but he said there's one gospel. And this gospel comes to reconcile and set people free. And he starts in verse 16 this way. He says, from now on, therefore, once I've submitted my life to this one God in Jesus Christ, his death, burial, and resurrection providing 
not only forgiveness from sins, but also freedom from sin so I could live differently than the world around me, that I could live differently than the destructive pattern I found myself in prior to knowing him and loving him. He says, from now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. In the NIV, it said, from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. No one. No one. How many people, if you were honest with yourself, you would actually be honest and say that when you go into a, maybe a business setting or you go into a school setting, maybe when you're just walking down the street and you actually see somebody different than you walking down the street, you automatically have something that rises up in you that has, you, you have formation of ideas or formations of thoughts about that person that you're seeing immediately, right? Immediately, it's like a reaction, And then when you get to know them, then all of a sudden, you know, everything's beautiful and good and everything like that, right? But how many people have ever been on edge with somebody before? Seeing somebody different than them, right? And then immediately, probably we're like, eh, I could get to know them, but I I don't know. Uh, Anybody ever done that to me before? I've seen it in your eyes. I'm going to come and get you. (laughs) Okay, I'm playing with you. But the point is, is that we all have that in us, Right? But in the gospel, he says, listen, under one God, you're, I'm going to give you one gospel that allows you to see the people around you differently. And from now on, we no longer regard anyone according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. What does that mean? That Jesus didn't come with a whole lot of hype and pump, did he? He came humbly as a, right? He came in the manger. He came in a poor Jewish community in the midst of a Roman oppressive empire. And he came as a savior, not just of the Jewish people, but of the entire world. And initially they could have disregarded him as being irrelevant to them. But Jesus was quite relevant to the entire world because he came for both the Jew and the Gentile. He came for all of humanity. He said, we used to look at Christ as somebody we could just disregard, but now we do so no longer. Let's continue with the verse. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, a new identity, he's a new creation or she's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come, right? That's the good news of the gospel. That though I was once a sinner and I was identified by my sin. Anybody remember being identified by your sin? It's sort of like when you would talk to people, it's sort of like, listen, this is what I do. I mean, I would meet people and at parties and everything prior to being a Christian. They're like, hey, man, what's your game? And I'd like immediately what would spill out of my mouth is all the sin I was involved in. I was like, wow, I guess that's what I think of myself. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm this kind of guy or like I'm that kind of guy, right? But he says, in Christ, when I came to Christ, I repented of my sin, turned away from it, put my trust in what Jesus did for me on the cross. I'm no longer identified by my sin. I'm identified by Jesus and his righteousness and his good standing with the Father that he's given to me. I'm a new creation. Anybody a new creation in here? Right? The old has passed away and behold, the new has come. So what I used to be identified by, I'm not anymore. 
And some of you need to be freed in that way. You need to stop identifying yourself with your old sin, your old patterns of behavior. You are a new creation in Christ, and he's come to set you free. And so when you are talking about, I'm not going to look at anyone else from a worldly point of view anymore. I'm not going to look at myself that way anymore either. I'm going to look at myself through the eyes of Christ. One gospel. Continue on, please. All this is from God, who through Christ, here's the message, reconciled us to himself. How are we going to start looking at other people differently? By first being reconciled to God, which means literally being brought back into friendship with God. That we were by nature objects of his wrath. We were by nature rebels deserving of death and hell. But because of Jesus Christ, he rescued us and reconciled us to the Father. He said, I'm calling you back into relationship, back into friendship. And not only with me so that it's a vertical thing, but here's the good news of the gospel. Horizontally with one another. Isn't that good news? That's good news. He says, whenever, whenever the fall of man took place, it was first a breaking of relationship with a holy God. Adam and Eve in the garden, right? Their relationship was broken with him. And then immediately after, generationally, brothers started warring against one another. And he said, I'm coming to redeem these things through the gospel. First, reconciliation with me. Then, reconciliation with one another. So you could obey the commandments I've given you. All of them are summarized in this. And if you don't feel like you've had the power to do it in the past, here's the good news. It's a promise to you. It is a promise to you that he'll set you free. He who the Son sets free is what? Free indeed. Freedom in your mind. Freedom in your soul. He said be transformed actually by the renewing of your minds that you might test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. He said all this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to God, I'm, I'm sorry, to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. So he says, number one, be reconciled with me. Then I'm entrusting you with a ministry. I'm entrusting you as ambassadors with a ministry of reconciliation. So the church should be ambassadors to reconcile humanity with God. And then here's the second commandment. Reconcile the world at war with one another with itself. Right? He's saying reconciliation vertically, reconciliation horizontally. Hello. The church is to be ministers of reconciliation. The front line. The one saying, I'm going to be the peacemaker here. Blessed are the peacemakers is what Jesus said, right? Because they'll be called sons of God. He's like, you're doing what I do. Now reconcile people with me and reconcile people with one another. Don't, don't be on the outside of the conversation. Be in the midst of it and speak the things that God himself would speak to reconcile humanity to God and also to one another. Let's continue on. Verse 19, that is in Christ God. God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. 
For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Working together with him, then, we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, in a favorable time, I listened to you. He's listening to all that's going on. And in a day of salvation, I have helped you. Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Now is the day of salvation. If you don't know Jesus, you've never bowed your knee to him, you've never come to him through the cross, today's your day. He said, now's the time. Now's the time. Stop procrastinating. Stop putting it off. Repent and believe the good news. Turn away from sin and believe the good news today. Come to him and follow him. But at the same time, if you've already done that, then take up the charge he's given you to be an ambassador of reconciliation reconciliation with him and reconciliation with the world around you. There was a man actually named Paul David Tripp who actually said this about the church. He actually said the church is not a theological classroom. It's not that theology isn't taught. Theology absolutely is taught, but it's not limited to that. The church is not a theological classroom. It is a conversion, confession, repentance, reconciliation, forgiveness, and sanctification center where flawed people place their faith in Christ, gather to know and love him better, and learn to love others as he designed. That's the church that Jesus is building. He said it's a conversion center, changing people from the inside out. It's a reconciliation center, reconciling people, one, to, um, one another to God, and then to one another, right? And then teaching them to be sanctified, set apart for him and his purposes. And if we're not doing that as a church, we're missing the thrust of the gospel. We have got to be relevant to the conversations that are going on in our nation, in our day, and actually be the answer to it through this one God and one gospel. Amen. We're to be one church. And I'll just lighten the mood a little bit. <laughs> Where if you're here in the Midwest, you might actually be a Bears fan. I understand that there are also Packers fans and Minnesota Viking fans here in the Midwest. But there was a joke I heard recently and it went a little like this. A Bears fan, a Vikings fan, and a Packers fan are climbing a mountain and arguing about who loves their team the most. Anybody heard this joke before? Okay, great. I'm happy to share it with you. The Vikings fan insists he is the most loyal. This is for Minnesota! He yells and jumps off the mountain. Not to be outdone, the Bears fan is next to profess his love for his team. He yells, This is for Chicago! And pushes the Packers fan off the mountain. <laughs> That's what we often do in the church. <laughs> is it not? Because we all have our different issues that we stand upon, right? We all have our different ways of going about our specific topics of interest in the gospel, right? But we're to be the people of God as one church, giving ourselves to the whole counsel of God and serving him as one people, fighting as one man for the faith of the gospel. Amen? And so how did Jesus, main man John, reflect that in Revelation? 
he talked about it this way. Revelation chapter 7, last verse. It says, after this I looked. John was caught up in the Spirit and looking and trying to get an idea of what the church of Jesus Christ should actually look like. The one that he was building. The one that he was concerned about. The one that he said, if I'm going to be about my father's business, I'm building this congregation, this assembly of people. But what is that assembly of people going to look like? We've already talked about what they're to do and what they're to focus on, but what are they to look like when they come together? And John got a picture of this in the Spirit. And though it's been often said that the church on Sundays is one of the most segregated times in America. Anybody ever heard that before? One of the most segregated times in America, God has a different picture of things. God has a different picture of things whenever he's talking about building his church. And it said this in Revelation 7, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes because of Jesus and his sacrifice, with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, salvation to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. And they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. He says, if I'm giving you a picture of what Jesus is building in the church, it's the worship of the nations forever and ever. Because God is deserving of it, number one, and he demands it, number two. He's deserving of it, and he demands it. And he's saying it's not going to be just the people that all look the same or have come from the same type of background or have acted the same up to the point of their salvation. Instead, he's going to say, I want a harvest from every tribe and every nation and every language, and every people who are going to fall down before the Lamb and His throne and say, glory and honor to Him. And He's worthy of my life and my sacrifice. And people have said this before, but we'll say it again, that if we can't get it right now, what do we think heaven's going to look like? If we can't be reconciled now and actually relate with our brothers and sisters who look and come from different backgrounds and act differently than us and actually have different experiences, what is it going to be like for us in heaven? Well, the good news is he's going to deliver us from all sin, which includes uh, setting ourselves up against one another in those ways. That's the good news. But it starts now, right? It starts now. This is what the church should be. This is what the church should be should look like. And I'll leave you finally with two quotes from one of the men of peace, MLK, okay? He actually said this in the midst of their struggle, the civil rights struggle. I was actually 
talking to um, some people on the street this past week as we were reaching out in different ways. And here's some good news for you. People have come to the Lord this past week. Isn't that good news? As we've been, yeah, come on now, give God a hand. Yes. As we've been preaching and teaching and reaching out, people have made decisions to follow Jesus. Other people are in the valley of decision saying, I'm just counting the cost. And they're about to come across the line. That is what the gospel's for. Good news, right? But one of the people that I was talking to, he was actually talking about how the church is like actually providing um, disunity in the nation and everything. And I was like, young man, it was a young man. I said, young man, you need to understand the history of our nation. And in the history of our nation, it's been the church that's done the most for civil rights, historically, helping things to come about to be in the way that they are today. The benefits that we experience today largely come from the thrust of the church led by the church of Jesus Christ and his gospel under that one God, right? So MLK, one of the proponents of this, it just triggered my thinking, and he said this. He said, love is creative and redemptive. Love builds up and unites. Hate tears down and destroys. The aftermath of the fight with, fi- fi- I'm sorry, fight with fire method is bitterness and chaos. Bitterness and chaos. If you've been trying to fight things online through your Twitter feeds and Facebook posts and all that, let that die and start preaching the gospel, the good news of our Jesus Christ, the reconciling cross of Jesus Christ. He says, if you fight fire with fire, the method, it leads to bitterness and chaos. The aftermath of the love method is reconciliation and creation of the beloved community. Yes, love, which means understanding, creative, redemptive, goodwill, even for one's enemies, is the solution. He went on to say this, that talking about the nonviolence movement. He said, resistance and nonviolence are not in themselves good. There is another element that must be present in our struggle that then makes our resistance and nonviolence truly meaningful. That element is reconciliation. Our ultimate end must be the creation of the beloved community. It's not resistance itself. It's not just raging against the machine itself. It's ultimately reconciliation with God and reconciliation through that with one another. One God, one gospel, one church. And so practically, we'll end just by giving you some (laughs) to-dos. If you don't know Jesus, be reconciled to God today through Jesus and his gospel. That's the first charge. Be reconciled to God through Jesus and his gospel. Repent and believe the good news. And if you've not been baptized, prepare to be baptized. We've got a baptism next week. Being united in the death of Christ and being raised through your faith in the power of God to new life. Come on now. That's what it's about. Number two, whether you are new to Christ, new to the city, or have been wandering for some time. This is Back to Church Sunday. If you've been wandering for some time, commit to a local church through which you can worship faithfully growing in the love and purposes of God. And then finally, number three, if you've already done that, find a community group this week. Don't be a procrastinator. Am I talking to any procrastinators in here? 
Okay, just a few. Am I a procrastinator? Just a bit. Okay. <laughs> Find a community group this week with which you can encourage one another, not sometimes, but daily, in our ongoing pursuit of Jesus and his kingdom. And as we do, Jesus will not only build his church, but we'll start to see some of the ailments and some of the ills of society transformed by this one God, through this one gospel, by this one church. In his mighty name. Amen? All right. Worship team, let's come on up. We're going to worship God and then have a time of communion where we actually acknowledge Jesus as the way and what he's done for us to bring us into this life in him.